0: David, a man after God's own heart, part 24. You got that right? Part 24, that's it. Inspired giving from 1 Chronicles chapter 29 verses 1 to 20. We, we are coming at the end, to the end of our series on the life of King David, a man after God's own heart. Uh, Next week we're going to do a transition, and an epilogue, I suppose, because as we lead up into Christmas, as you know, the life of King David and, and those of Jesus are very much connected in more ways than one. So David is now at the end of his life. And what a life it has been. A life live with intensity and and passion before God and before his people. We see it in the narrative of his life and his story and we read it from from his own personal devotion before God in the Psalms that he wrote. So this is the reason why the Bible devotes so much uh, space to him. We, we get an, it's an unedited account of his biography. It's not as if there's someone telling his story and David says, well, uh, no mate, you don't, please don't write that, okay? And, and no, don't write that, and, and, and no. Uh, we can't say that. Not on Facebook. Oh. It's all there, warts and all. And so today we look at his his final appearance and it is quite a significant event as it is also the coronation of of his son Solomon. Not only that, the people are also challenged and inspired to give to the work of God, the building of the magnificent temple. So the passage before us is, is again one of these great chapters in scripture, it is emotionally and and spiritually charged. Oh, what it would have been like to be there, to be part of that. Mixed with David's handover of of the kingdom to his son Solomon are the plans to build a temple. And the author of 1 Chronicles draws some interesting similarities with what happened 450 years earlier and describes in detail, which are described in detail in, in the last chapters of Deuteronomy. It's almost as if David is portrayed as a second Moses and Solomon as a second Joshua. Now let's see some of the similarities. You can look it up yourself, but I'll just give you some of the highlights. Both both of them, Moses and David, were prohibited by God from completing the task. Moses did not lead the people into the promised land, and David did not get to build the temple that he so much wanted. Some four years ago, he was standing on Mount Nebo and overlooks the the Dead Sea, and then beyond the distance is the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem and the heights. Mount Nebo is a magnificent spot. And, and I couldn't help but feel sadness for Moses' part that he did all this incredible work, put up with some very difficult people. Through all that time, and yet, was not allowed to cross over. And yet, and yet, he fulfilled the task that God gave him to do. You do what I tell you to do, and all the glory goes to God. It doesn't go to man. As good as he was, as an amazing leader that he was, he wasn't able to cross over. David lived an incredible life. He wanted with his whole heart to build a temple. He couldn't do it. He was prohibited from doing Both David, another point is that both David, Moses were, were privately chosen and called by god and then presented before the people there was no election there was no yet hands up all those who vote for him no god chose them god put them there both were enabled remember how moses you know came up with all these excuses can't talk can't do these please send someone else And both of them were enabled, they were strengthened, they were magnified by God for the task of leading the people. And both successors were told, so Joshua and now Solomon are told, be strong and courageous. Then the Lord your God goes with you, and then he will never forsake you. That's in Joshua one five and then one Chronicles twenty eight. So the, there is a there is that pattern, that similarity as a as a as a handover is coming up. Saying, "Well, God is with you. The Lord is with you. It's all about God." Because folks, none of us are getting out of this alive. Don't um, you know? Be so full of yourself. Don't pump up your leaders so much that you forget about the God who has enabled your pastors, your leaders, those who have gone before us, those who will come after us. It's all God. It's all God. There are three different aspects. You can find more, but let me name at least three different aspects of this incredible event seen from different angles that that really tell the story of what inspired the people to give at this time. First of all, in verses 1 to 5, they were inspired by the king. In verses 1 and 2 we read, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen... Is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord God. And with all of my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. So in his last days, he stands before his people and the whole assembly of the Israelites before him. The installation, the occasion is the installation to the throne of his son Solomon as king over all of Israel. This was always going to be a significant event. Uh, during his last days, there was a struggle for power, as we know. You need to read the story. And and we there were sons who were vying for the coveted position to take over the old man. So David wants to make sure that the people know who has his blessing, who has God's blessing. And it is Solomon. David, during his 40 years of reign, well, a lot of water has passed under the bridge, hasn't it? A lot of victories, a lot of defeats. In a way, David had grown up and and matured. His life was lived before the people. Many of them would not know anyone else except David as their king. Perhaps some even assume that he will be around forever. Long live the king. But David recognises it is time to go. It is time to let go. And it's also time to—we're not going to waste this time, but we're actually going to leave a lasting impression on the people, something that they remember. And as the baton is passed on to his young son, he wants to, rather than face the headwinds that he faced as he was the struggle with Saul. He wants to give his son a push. He wants to give him a tailwind, an impetus, a springboard into a glorious future. Son Solomon was still young and tender and this is why he says in verse 1, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. This wasn't demeaning. It was the truth. It was, look, he's just starting out. This task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord. And I think anything to do with God, we need to remember that. Yes, we we look at everything in the human level and you've done this wrong and you should have done this and you should have done that and you could have done this better and you could have done that better and and maybe you shouldn't have said this, maybe you should have said that. And we we look at everything on a human level. And one of the greatest impediments in everything, I suppose, is people wondering where the money was going to come from. So David proceeds to lead by example, by giving like he had never given before. The cynic would probably say, well, he's a dying old man. He probably doesn't care what happens to his money anyway, does he? No, building the temple has, David's, has been David's great desire for all of this time, and, and he has been passionate for decades. And he doesn't ask the people to do something that he's not willing to do himself. So you look at those sums of gold and silver and multiply 100 tons of gold and 260 tons of silver by today's prices, and this all equates to about Seven and a half billion Australian dollars. Last week, you remember the message last week? Or you forgotten? Just remember. What was the phrase from last week? I will not give something to the Lord that cost me nothing. David declared that his sacrificial offering had to cost him something, otherwise it was meaningless. And I think that, I think it's interesting that both accounts of David's last day in 2 Samuel and in 1 Chronicles, both of the last verses, chapters and verses, are combined with a sacrificial offering. It was going to cost him something. And then David, throws out a challenge or an altar call to the people, verse 5. And this is the altar call. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Note that David doesn't say consecrate your gift to the Lord, but he says when you give your gift, you are consecrating yourself to the Lord. This is very important to understand. We give because we are disciples of the Lord and disciples of the Lord are consecrated to the Lord. And David speaks of those who are giving to the temple, not only as offering willingly, but it's also an act of consecration. It's not just a bank transfer. It's not just what's, you know... What's left over? I don't know. Oh, 100 bucks. Can't give that. 20 bucks? Is that that enough? No, he's saying, it's all. Everything I have. And and It's almost an Old Testament version of the, 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 the priesthood of all believers. He's saying, when you give willingly to the building of this temple you are consecrating your very self to the Lord. And the word consecrate is made up of two Hebrew words. The literal meaning is to have full hands. Full hands. And it was normally reserved for the priests and sacrifices in the context of the worship, worship at the temple. But here... It is open to all of the people, not just reserved for the priests. Full hands, willing hearts, not holding back. This is what is needed to accomplish the great work that God requires. And I think the same is true today. We we simply can't serve him half-heartedly and with empty hands. The same way that after Moses offered all those excuses in the desert, God tells him, what are you holding in your hand, Moses? And what are you holding in your hand? It has to be a something willingly. you can't be forced voluntarily. And, and, and this word, to give voluntarily, to give willingly, appears very often in the Bible in the context of giving. God does not want to force us to serve him. He doesn't want to force us to give to him. That applies to everything that we do, everything that we have, all that we are. Uh, Someone said that there are three levels of giving. The first level, you have to, that's the law, like paying taxes. The second level of giving is you ought to, obligation. Level three, you want to. It's grace. It's from the heart, willingly. Guess which the Bible prefers to Corinthians nine seven. Each of you should give that what 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 you have decided in your heart to give. Not because of pressure from the past. Not because of pressure from the televangelist. Not because you know he's going to heal your grandmother no not reluctantly not under compulsion for what what's the reason for God loves a cheerful giver with joy willingly so first of all inspired by by who the king Secondly, inspired by the leaders, verses 6 to 9. Then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commandants of hundreds and officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God. David's own leaders, his bureaucrats, his generals, the military, everybody, inspired by the king, they proceeded to accept the challenge as well. It, 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 would have, it really would have warmed David's heart seeing his servants willingly work together to build the house of God. He could now, he, you could see the old man just sort of there slouching and with a big smile on his face. and you know, It would have warmed his heart, right? Seeing all of this. And... and Let's face it, throughout his life, David did what he did, obviously with, a, with God's help, but he had all these willing generals, all these friends and all his mighty men. And if, if, if you look at it in the context of the Psalms and you, as you read it, he has amazing musicians, worship leaders as well, who were part of his team. He was blessed in so many ways. All this, obviously, what they were doing had a positive effect on the other people, the population, who were watching all of this on this great day. If their leaders didn't hold back, they weren't going to hold back either. So we read in verse 8, Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. I know one of the reasons people often express for not giving or donating is that they do not trust what is going to happen with their money. Right? It's one of the great excuses that people offer. I just don't know what's going to happen. How much of it is going to go in administration and so on and so forth. But here all this treasure is being carefully placed and we actually have the name of the fellow. His name is Jehiel. He's, he's the one in charge. So he's the one accountable to the people to administer the funds. And, 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 and there's a whole host of treasury officials which you, you read in Chronicles that they're the ones who are going to be in charge of administering all of these money, you know, collecting the money and distributing it, paying for the work. This is a clear expression of accountability. It's transparent for what was given. Here it is. This is the count, this is the amount of gold that was given, this is the silver and so on. This is why we actually why why do we have why do we need to know the amount? Because it was important. So the people then give an extra 190 tonnes of gold, 375 tonnes of silver on top of what David had already given. What a sight it must have been. You remember the old days we used to have telethons on TV and they used to, right, give the names of the people we're giving and it went on and on for the whole day, this telethon. Well, we could call this a temple thon. <laughs> he went on for hours. In verse 9, the people rejoice, and there's that word again, at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So as you can see, there's this incredible generosity in Israel for the collection for the building of the temple David led the way then the leaders and then the people followed how do you account for this how do you account for it at one level a secular observer would say that there were psychological sociological nationalistic and even economic explanation for all that had happened Sociologists will call it mob or crowd psychology. It was an emotional day, you know, the the old king was dying and they wanted to show their appreciation to the old fellow to make him happy. That's what they were giving. And the building of the temple was a matter of national pride. It was a status symbol. Is that what they were giving? Everybody got caught up in the, in the mood of the moment and it was contagious. That's what the secularists will tell us. But at the next level, David says that the people did the giving. He stresses that their wills were profoundly engaged and involved in the giving. They weren't forced. Nobody twisted their arm. It was their free will. But is that all there was? Level three, uh, inspired, obviously, by God. This is how we understand it, in verses 10 to 20. According to David, something or more accurate, accurately, someone was moving the hearts of the people and that someone was God no there were, there were no miracles no signs and wonders and, 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 and no wow factor like the, the fire that fell from heaven that consumed the sacrifice that David offered that tells us in, in, after the, the plague had finished we looked at that last week David says it's all about God and in his prayer and in his praise we see how how deep, how profound is his doctrine of God. Verse 10, So David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. David's response to all the human willingness, all their willingness to give is to praise God, not man. And we want to thank Ted Penny for donating a million dollars towards the construction of the of the temple, and Mr. Duncan Ross for donating fifty dollars. <laughs> that, that's how we do it, right? That's how we do we, we need to know everybody how much you give, and and then you know Ted Penny be you know, yeah, and all the Penny family, yeah, we donated for that, and, and Duncan Ross. you see who are we giving if we're saying that we're giving the glory to man aren't we isn't it what does David do he praises God he gives the glory to God this is the total guys this is this is to God in front of everybody the whole assembly is praising God. So he leads in prayer before the whole assembly. Let's just gather together, guys, let us pray. And in his prayer, he mentions at least 10 things about God. There are more, but let me just bring up 10 that, that, are, that, that are being revealed in this whole movement of generosity and giving. So we turn now to some aspects of God's character, which are this prayer actually reads like a psalm. First of all, his faithfulness. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, verse 10. God has been our Father. He was there before. He is here now. And He is going to be there for all of eternity. God's faithfulness. His faithfulness. Praise be to you, Lord. Secondly, his greatness. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. God is great. His greatness is ever expanding. As your knowledge of God, as you go deeper and deeper into his word, your appreciation for God, who God is, keeps expanding. The wow factor is not enough because it keeps growing as you discover more and more of who God is. He is larger than any reality in the universe. Yesterday, we were just traveling through Kangaroo Valley. Oh, what a sight. Amazingly beautiful. And I just said, and I just said in my heart, and to those in the car, I said, imagine what heaven will be like. If this is beautiful, right? If this is the glimpse, imagine what heaven will be like. His power. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. God is powerful. All power belongs to God. He is not only great in size, but He can move the greatness, His greatness, to accomplish His ultimate purposes. From the macro to the micro, He displays His power. His glory, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory. Bang, bang, bang. God's glory implies what? Implies beauty, splendor. In other words, his greatness and power together are beautiful. And when we see God for who he is, our souls respond with Satisfaction, Tremendous satisfaction. Because we, we were made to behold his glory, to stand in awe of who he has done, of what he is and what he's done. His majesty, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty. God is majestic. When he rides by, you take off your hat like the old days, and you salute. You, you don't slouch, start yawning and "Oh, I'm, I'm bored. No! The king is riding by. The majesty behold, you'll stand on tiptoes trying to get a, a glimpse of the queen as she passes by. No, this is much greater than Queen Elizabeth. This is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. His ownership, six, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. God owns all things. You you might have the name on your property, on your title. You might have your name on your car. And you you have your name on your bank account. And you look at it and you feel good. Oh man, I've got that much money, hey? That car is mine you puffed up. Fantastic. Great. You don't own it, actually. Sorry to tell you. I know that's what it says in the title, but you don't own it. David wrote this in the Psalms, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Do you get that? Psalm 24 verse 1, God owns your life. You know that name on the title of your property and your car and your bank account? Well, God owns that name as well. It's all God's. He gave it to you He gave us our lives freely as a trust. We are trustees of of what he's given us and he he may take it back whenever he pleases because it's not yours in the first place. We are not our own nor anything that we possess. God owns all of it. Seventh, his kingship. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. Here is a dying king humbling himself before the eternal king. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. In other words, he not only has the splendor of royalty, he has the authority of royalty as well. He rules as king over the world. He owns all that is in the heavens and the earth and he governs all that he owns, namely everything. It's all his. Eight, he is the source of all blessing. Wealth and honour come from you to exalt and give strength to all. He is the source of all riches and honour that come to any man or woman or child. The source of our blessings is not your or my education, The source of your blessing is not your hard work, hard as you might have worked. The the source of your blessing is not the fact that your rich parents gave you all of this money as as an inheritance. The the source of your blessing isn't the fact that you picked the right stocks and you you made the right investments and wow, now you're sitting on hundreds of billions of dollars and and wow, how good are you? What does David say? David says, No, riches come from God. Wealth and honour come from you. To exalt and to give strength to all. All human greatness, all human strength, are the work of God's invisible, enabling hand 9 God is merciful but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this everything comes from you and we and get this right we have given you only what comes from your hands So, even though we don't deserve to be helped and are often ungrateful and we don't give him the glory, God continues to be merciful. God continues to be patient with us. Ultimately, it is God who gives, it is God who moves our hearts, who enables us to give. And behold, we give Yet we only give, we receive with open hands, not closed, and then after we receive that we close that we leave it open and he then picks from our hands what we hold openly with his hands for a a few years. I don't know for how long because he can take it back whenever he wants. We only have, we only give to you, Lord, what you have orig- originally given to us. That's, that's all it is. That's all it is. And finally, in verse 10, 10th uh, reason, 10th aspect of God, his character is, God enables. Verse 18 keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Wow. Ultimately, it is God, even in our desires, even in the willingness and the thoughts that go in your mind. It it is... Our minds wander and our hearts go astray, but it is, it is he who is the one who, who should be capturing all that we are every moment. Uh, a song that we sometimes sing in communion is uh, a great song, a great old hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. One of the all-time favourites, right? The, the line that should do it for us, the line that does it for me is, were the whole realm of nature mine? if you, I own the whole world, right? That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. We're going to sing it in a moment. Right? With the whole realm of nature mind, if you had everything of everything of everything and you thought, wow, wow, i got a lot. Well, <laughs> whether you have a lot or you have very little, it doesn't matter. It's all he is anyway. It's all he is. It's all he is. But he demands it, he demands it, he, he demands your life, your all. Which, you know, David is saying here as he's calling his people to be consecrated before him. He's saying, Lord, your gospel is so great, your grace to me is so great, that the only way I can respond to what, to, to what you've done in my life is to give myself back to you. if i owned all the stuff in the world that actually wouldn't be enough to give back to you so i give you to you myself my all to you that's the kind of consecration that i think 1 chronicles 29:5 and last week we saw romans 12:1 right a living sacrifice that's what it's about so, my brothers and sisters, I hope that and pray that you have been blessed with our series on the life of King David. No, he was not perfect, much less sinless. But he was chosen, he was anointed, guided, strengthened, delivered, forgiven, and inspired by God. And so much more, right? And, and, and like no other had the privilege. To be called a man after God's own heart. His life was a forerunner of the one who would be perfect in every possible way. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Solideo Gloria. Amen.